Welcome to the CEO After Dark show, a show dedicated to finding how top business leaders became who they are today. I'm your host, George Capernaros. I'm the CEO of Yocto, one of the world's top email and SMS marketing agencies. Join me as I interview some of the smartest CEOs, CMOs, and other top leaders in the e-commerce and digital business space and go deep into the steps and journey that brought them to where they are today, the positive, the negative, and everything in between, so you can learn from what they did well and avoid the mistakes they made along the way. And we're live. Today, I'm here with Catherine Sakovic, one of the smartest people I've worked with thus far. I always say this, but it's because I only work with smart people. I've <laughs> worked with Catherine for the last two years, I believe, in the context of her role as CMO of Miracle, and I've learned quite a lot from her. I think she has a tremendously interesting story to share. Miracle was recently ranked one of the fastest growing femtech companies, if not the fastest growing company, I believe the fastest growing company in the femtech category in the U.S., and I think it's going to be a very exciting talk. Catherine, thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Do you perhaps want to give like a short introduction about yourself in your own words to the listeners? Sure. Yeah, I'm Catherine and I'm working with brands of 15 years already to promote them, to make audience know about their story and make it in a more creative way that capture audience attention. Currently, I'm at Mira. Mira is started as a medical device company that helps women to conceive and measure their sex hormones at home. But now we are pivoting towards bigger picture because we realize that tracking device, it's not only what is needed in order to achieve, for them achieve their goals. So we launched recently many new products like supplements and telehealth, and now went towards the vision of being a hormonal health company and hope to achieve a leadership role in this broader vision this year. I see, I see. And it's going very, very well. The company has grown tremendously over the past couple of years, and I think if I may say so myself, I think you've played a key role in that. But I think what's <laughs> super interesting to explore here is how did this start? Because I think you have a very fascinating story where you were actually the CEO of a very, very successful agency in Belarus, a creative agency. And for me, as an external viewer, it seems like you had it all figured out. And then you suddenly decided to move to the U.S., uh, go to San Francisco, study there, and like almost like restart your life. So, like, what happened there? Can you tell us what the thinking was, what the reasoning was? Yeah, you hit it directly to the point. Yeah, five years ago, I moved to San Francisco uh, to do a master program in innovation and entrepreneurship, but it was a not easy decision because, uh, as you mentioned, I uh, lived in Minsk and, and I became a CEO of an agency that was a leader on the market. We worked with the top brands uh, like uh, Samsung, uh, Volkswagen, Burger King, Nestle. So it's like a top FMCG companies uh, working with uh, international teams, uh, helping them to launch and localize campaigns in uh, this region. So it was going quite good, but I had a feeling and I traveled a lot and I traveled to San Francisco a couple of times and I just got in love with the city. And I realized that, you know, I want to be somewhere where all innovations 
are happening from where trends are coming. You know, when you read the trend, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it was, I don't know, from some event in San Francisco or company that has headquarters. So I really want to be in, uh, you know, in the beginning of this wave. And I decided that it's worth to post everything that I have and start from beginning. It was very scary. To be honest, when I moved to San Francisco, I had a tent with me because I was thinking that <laughs> if something happened and I don't have money, I don't have anything, at least I can t- and I have a tent and I can live under the bridge and work as an Uber driver. But of course, <laughs> it didn't happen. And uh, as soon as I uh, get to school and get connections with uh, other companies, because the first week I did the outreach and I reached out on LinkedIn, CEO of uh, all agencies that I like, uh, creative agencies, digital agencies uh, that were located in San Francisco. And I told them like, hey, I have this experience and I really wanted to I know, get more experience in the U.S. market. And I just, I want to volunteer. I wanted to come and do anything you want. Just take me for like internship because I had school. I can't work full time. And so from my outreach, I actually got maybe couple of replies, which I think is a good conversion rate. And one agency, they told me, yeah, let's come and meet. So I came to their office. Uh, it was before COVID. Uh, it was amazing, beautiful office. And their window look into LinkedIn office, actually. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting coincidence. And this agency worked with the banks and credit unions for helping them do digital transformation to do UX research and build their websites and digital services. So we had conversation and they liked my experience and they offered me to like be as, you, you know, help as a junior with different campaigns. And I started to come to their office uh, every day and uh, very soon they brought me to calls with the clients presenting like SEO strategy and some other analysis and uh, data research. So <laughs> I was uh, scared, but uh, it's also shown me that uh, skill set uh, that you have, uh, whatever country is it, uh, if it's really, you know, if it works uh, for one company, it will work for another. Playbooks are the same, skills are the same. Yeah, it, it looks scary because now I'm presenting not in a bank that I know somewhere in Belarus, but in a bank that is in the United States, but actually it's all the same. <laughs> and the actually challenges that agency had were also similar. So I really wanted to get into startups uh, rather than working with multiple companies. And it opened up the next step of my journey when I decided to pivot into more working with the product rather with the services. I find it incredible how determined you are. Like, I'm just thinking about myself. Like, if I were in your shoes, I don't know if I would be open to, because when you have a leadership position, you kind of grow comfortable in the leadership position. You have other people kind of, you're giving them direction. They execute the work. And you took this jump from being the CEO to almost like becoming an intern. And I find this very fascinating. Like internally, did you struggle with this or is it just me? 
<laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, like time to take, uh, uh, you know, um, your <laughs> status away and uh, rethink everything from scratch. But I also was okay to do it because I feel that it's completely new market. It's completely different budgets and, uh, you know, things are the same, but still it requires you earning your authority and your reputation on another market. And also it helped me to learn new things because, however, playbook is the same. There are different tools and different ways when people present information and what they use. So it was incredibly helpful at these uh, companies on early stage to everything you know, hands-on and set up campaigns. And I remember when I also joined Mira, I was just one marketing person. And when I did campaigns in the agency, I just like basically had a big teams who executed. And at Mira, I executed everything myself. I designed social media posts in Canva and wrote copy without chat GPC. Oh my God, it was so hard. <laughs> And uh, it helped me to learn how I wanted to be. When uh, I started to hire, it was easy to train and onboard people because uh, you know how to do it. And uh, actually, I still uh, like sometimes to, you know, we work with email marketing to go to Clavio to some like a, a sandbox account and just play and see how it's changing because the tools are developing so fast. Like every, I don't know, quarter they launch new features. AI. So if you are not hands-on, if you are not like doing things by yourself, you're very quickly losing this kind of skill. And, you know, it's difficult to work with other people if you don't know how to do it yourself. I agree. I think at the very least, you should understand how things work. Like you don't necessarily need to be the best at doing the, the actual hands-on work, but you should nonetheless understand how it works so that you can communicate and direct others. Okay, so you moved to San Francisco, you studied, you started some early roles there. How did you move to Mira? How did you land on this company? Like, how did this happen? Oh, uh, yeah. Honestly, uh, laziness is a <laughs> moving, <laughs> moving of progress uh, for humanity. So um, when I worked at this agency with a uh, uh, financial institution, I actually really like it because I feel like a lot of things can be done and uh, and. It, even though United States, you know, looks like a so modern country, but a lot of banks are just like not really good in terms of uh, their digital strategies. So I decided to build my career in a fintech uh, space. So I, I came to um, uh, several startups and uh, I joined one that worked uh, uh, on an alternative credit score. And this company had this like very strong mission in uh, empowering people uh, from developing countries uh, to get a credit score, even though they didn't have any credit cards at all. And I really like this like a company being very mission driven. It didn't work for me because I understand the company was uh, B2B, uh, that uh, I really like to be close to consumer and I really like to see immediate effect of my actions and uh, uh, different marketing uh, strategies. So I decided to look for consumer focused company next when I finished my school, but I wanted something to be 
really you know, focused on sustainability or helping a you know, marginalized community or some other like mission-oriented goals. And I started to apply uh, and uh, one company that I had conversation with Mira and um, when I was at the agency in Minsk, we closely worked with the floor, which is the most popular I think health and wellness app on Apple Store and they're leader in the period checker and they're from like founders from Belarus. Now they headquartered in London, but uh, those time uh, they had like a big office and we did a lot of campaigns with, for them. So maybe this connection helped me to get interview with Sylvia, who is a Mira founder. So it's, we, I came to the office. It was one and a half hour commute uh, for me <laughs> because the office was in the area and I was like, Oh my God, this job sounds like dream, but it's, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to commit for this. And after that, I went to Burning Man. <laughs> when I came from Burning Man, I was like, Oh, I'm so lazy to look for another option. <laughs> and I really like this company focusing on the women's health. So well, maybe I will give it a try. And I also was scared that there is no other marketing team. I will just be myself and kind of start to do it. But also I feel that it's an interesting opportunity to make a, a change and um, like start to build the team. And yeah, I joined and uh, it was a roller coaster <laughs> because I think first three months I learned so much, not just about like marketing and doing everything by myself again, but also about women's health, because honestly, I didn't know, like I was just years old. I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know anything about hormones. I was so overwhelmed. Like I didn't know these terms and I know how does it work. And I think I... It, it makes me understand how consumer feel because in a lot of situation, when you work with a product for a long time, you feel like, oh, this is so easy. This is so straightforward. But actually, I start to share some effects with my girlfriends and they also don't know it. So I realized how important is it to play this educational role that still, I think, is the corner store of our marketing. I agree. I agree. And we've worked actually with a lot of companies in the women's health space related to like menopause, to period pain, to fertility. And it's a common thread that there's a lot of information that people don't necessarily know about. So the education piece, I agree, is a huge one. So, okay, based on how you described it, it seems like at the beginning, it was basically just you and you had to figure out a lot of things really quickly. How did you go from this to being the fastest growing company in your category in the Americas? Like there's some story in between those two things. How did all of this happen? <laughs> yeah, um, I would say I got fortunate because, you know, when you open like any marketing books, uh, uh, they all sell that, uh, they all tell that if uh, there is a uh, product that people, if you build the product that people really need, then your job like is half done <laughs> because you have product market fit and you just need to communicate the value, maybe some differentiation. 
So I think that's what happened. And uh, when I joined Mira, I uh, we did um, we launched a pre-order, and I realized that on community that we started on Facebook just out of nothing. Like company didn't have any media mentions. It wasn't founded by celebrity or influencer, but uh, people just started to join the group and be very active about the solution because nothing like this never exists before and uh, the solutions that uh, they use was invented like 50 years ago. So for 50 years, you know, they're already self-driving cars, but for as I, uh, tracking hormones, people use something that didn't give uh, numbers, didn't give accuracy. So it was uh, a solution that really hit on the need and audience expectations. That's why this initial uh, jump start for marketing, of course, wasn't like easy to execute, but still like get really good uh, feedback. And uh, when COVID hit, um, a lot of uh, fertility treatments, fertility clinics, they were on pause. And also people start to be more aware of solutions that uh, you can do at home and uh, just talk to your provider, talk to your doctor. And also doctors become more open for something like this because, you know, it's changed everything. Like, healthcare doesn't exist like it was anymore. And people start to be more open for, for new innovations, for solutions. So it really helped us. I think the COVID year, we grew like three times, like 300%. It was the biggest, like, you know, percentage. And uh, starting from it, of course, it gave us a lot of resources and media mentions and testimonials from doctors uh, that helps you open doors and uh, start to like promote uh, it more consistently and holistically. I think it might make sense so that everybody has the same level of context. If you could make like a brief description of how the core, the flagship product, the analyzer works so that people can understand specifically what it is about. Sure. Yeah, so uh, Mira Analyzer, it looks like a small egg uh, that you can hold uh, in your hand and it's a urine-based test. So if uh, you wanted to understand your cycle when you're ovulating or if ovulation happens or if there is any hormonal imbalance that can affect cycle health and your mood, it's very easy. Uh, you basically pee in a cup and uh, there are sticks uh, that uh, you use every time you test and you put the stick in a cup and after that insert in the analyzer and analyzer tells you what is the number of four key uh, fertility hormones and uh, information immediately syncs to the app and on the app you can see your chart. And I think that uh, like some people ask like, oh, why we should do this? Like often it's because it gives you pattern because we are all different and a lot of women, they have regular cycles, they have one COVID actually impacted cycles a lot. It's, it's changed its lens. Uh, so there are different factors and environmental things that are impacting it. So when you test on a regular basis, you can see not just the number itself as a snapshot, but a pattern and you can compare cycles between each other. So it gives a lot of insights, uh, that women were able to access before in a, comfort of their own home because they need to go to the hospital, do lab tests and lab tests uh, uh, for blood. Of course, you don't want to drink your blood every day. It's very expensive but not convenient And, at and all. I think there's also a trend globally towards basically less births, fewer births. So like fertility is a big topic because people do want to get pregnant, but like due to how the 
the modern lifestyle is, with the careers and everything, like we perhaps don't prioritize it or it's not as easy as it used to be. So I guess that partially also explains this huge dynamic behind the product. Yes, exactly. And uh, yeah, there are different use cases. People want to travel. They don't want to be attached to going to the clinic. Also, we have a lot of customers who are LGBTQ couples and uh, they also want to have uh, like a more convenient uh, solution uh, for them uh, to, to do at home insemination or any other fertility treatment. I'm going to make a wild assumption, but I suppose that when you first joined Mira or when you applied to Mira, even you were not expecting that it would grow so much, right? Probably you could not imagine. Yeah, I didn't have any expectations, but uh, I'm so blessed that um, I like joined the right company at the right time. My question is, what has been the biggest challenge in all of this? Because I'm sure behind the, all of the success, there's obviously things that did not go as planned, like challenges that you were not expecting. Yeah, I would say that, uh, of course, uh, there are some uh, challenges related to advertising and platforms because uh, Mira is uh, starts as a direct-to-consumer brand. And when we started, all this D2C business was on the a, a top of the popularity and getting investments. And a lot of companies during COVID like, went to IPO through SPAC. So it was like a golden time of so D2C business. And after that... Uh, some critical updates happen, uh, like iOS 14 update and privacy changes that actually change the business model and the situation for all these direct-to-consumer businesses. For people who doesn't know, so when uh, Apple changed their privacy rules, Meta had to change uh, also a lot of like hide a lot of audiences and settings as people use uh, for very cheap acquisition, for very cheap cost of getting uh, acquire a customer. So after that, our cost of advertising increased, I would say, twice. And we need to reinvent everything. We need to think about how we collect data, what channels do we use and how we advertise. And also think more creatively about our message, about our ad assets, how we sell our story. So yeah, it was one of the most critical updates. But also I would say that, you know, challenges with the team are always uh, one of the most painful because as company growing, you know, also team needs to transform and change. And some people that, you know, were hired in the beginning and join our team with the perception, oh, it's a small startup, it's more like a small business. And now being like building a leadership on the market is completely different mindset. And unfortunately, not everyone is transforming together with the company and absolutely fine. There are people who are good in a high growth and scaling stage. There are people who are good on a different stage. So you need to make sure that I need to make sure that team is adjusted and has the same kind of vision where they want to be and how they see their role and uh, collaboration and engagement with the company. And I also think a big part of the team is remote, right? Yeah, well, 100% remote. 100% remote. Okay, so I guess that complicates things further because how do you get everybody on the same page when everybody's in a different place or traveling or like doing, have different time zones and so on. Did you work remote before this or was this the first? I worked, I had experience working just a freelancer. I, uh, my bachelor in journalism and I worked as a journalist with different magazines. So this 
was okay for me. Like I already used to do it, but at the agency, of course, there is this, like it's absolutely impossible to imagine working remotely. And um, now I think COVID and uh, pandemic changed everything. And we start to hire people from different places. And it also gives a lot of opportunities because you can uh, have access to best talents. But I remember when I joined Mira, uh, all our documentation was on like Google files and communication on chats. And I know still some companies operate like this. So when we realized that uh, it will not work and actually we realized that even before remote work, just, you know, being like we, we went to this office that was in um, East Bay uh, with uh, Mira founders and some other people. So we started to build our knowledge uh, hub. We use uh, Notion for it and also start to build like a project management tools and communication on Slack. But I'm truly software agnostic. I don't think that there is a like silver bullet uh, for this. It's more like how you set up and organize processes and more importantly, how you enforce them and make people follow the same standards. Because it can be like any ideal tool with all these amazing features, but if people don't follow it and continue to behave in a way that, I don't know, each of them thinks that the most convenient, it creates a lot of mess. Uh, so I think that's like sometimes it takes time. It's not so easy when we implement, for example, a new process. Oh, now we, I don't know, every product should have this documentation or you need to, I don't know, document conclusions of your report or whatever. It creates some kind of resistance because, not because someone is, you know, bad employee. It's just we are as a humans. I would say that just mentally, psychologically resistant to anything new. And it seems like, oh no, there's so much documentation. We become a bureaucracy. <laughs> it's not like now working in a government. But honestly, I think that a lot of people also told that, uh, you know, they've never seen such a good organized system like at Mira internal documentation and, uh, like everything you can easily find everything and onboarding is much easier. And eventually people see how you can save time on making some, you know, you spend more time maybe throughout the process, but in the end of the day, you like save a lot of time of not researching what was done before and where were consequences of it. So I think it, it pays out and everyone starts to be more flexible just because they see benefits and also more people working remotely, more people coming from working remotely than before, and it helps to build the system. And I want to recommend one book uh, that I read last year, and it's actually like super helpful, super applicable book about how to, not about remote work, but just because about operations and it calls uh, Scaling Teams and it's by a woman uh, who was scaling people, Clary Johnson, CEO of Stripe. So she put all her operational principles, like a different templates, uh, different guidelines and like from their uh, intranet and uh, how they organize processes. And I realized that if Stripe has such extensive documentation and everything works, then, you know, there are a lot of things to take from it. And also it's fine that we're also trying to build something similar. 
So I don't know if uh, someone works remotely and sometimes you feel that, oh, it's a lot of documentation, it's a lot of tasks, it's fine. It, it's it's what actually helps to smooth the process and get things running. So I think it just was helpful for me to see a reference from someone else and get the feeling that, okay, this is fine. <laughs> what we're doing is not crazy. I haven't read this yet. Scaling people, you said. I'm going to read this, mm -hmm. but I, mm -hmm. what, what I will say is that I can totally relate to documentation being and feeling for everybody else a pain, but actually being something that's totally worth it in the end. And I think everybody that has worked remotely or like has managed projects or people remotely can actually <laughs> relate to that. What I also want to um, give a quick call out, I've noticed a couple of things about Mira that I think are worth sharing here. Number one is that you give people opportunities. I've seen people starting in one role and then over time progressing to higher roles, so growing with the company. And I think that's also a very big point on why ultimately you have a very strong team because if the company wins, then the team also wins. And I think you are also using, or at least used to use, some performance-based incentive that actually motivates people to perform even more because when they reach certain KPIs and OKRs, they are actually being rewarded for this. And this is a very big thing. And I think more companies should frankly be doing this, including mine, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we... Um... Uh, we basically, for, for development of people, we have two types uh, of um, programs. Uh, one is a personal development uh, plan. And uh, it also came from my experience in uh, agencies that I worked. Like every person had a review every six months or every year to give feedback about how they're satisfied with work and how they feel about uh, their competencies and skills and what they wanted to grow. And manager helps to organize this growth plan or give feedback or just day-to-day -day coaching so they can, they can get to the point where they wanted to be and feel fulfilled about their career. And another one is more tactical. It's uh, our uh, bonus system. So it's connects to OKR. I know that OKR, traditionally, how it's set up in Google, they, they shouldn't be incentivized uh, in any like financial reward. But we kind of mixed this approach and KPIs approach when we take some of OKRs so that someone has a direct impact or believes they can complete. And uh, we connect it to um, some additional bonus besides uh, the standard compensation. And I think OKR also helps to... Actually, we're going through OKR process right now for the next year and it's I know. very painful <laughs> because it's a lot of alignment it's a lot of calls and everyone is like oh struggling <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that these conversations actually pushes us to discuss what is really important because another thing of startup or <laughs> maybe any companies especially agencies is stress and just being burned out and workloads. There are always so many things to do. Everyone complaining that they work a lot. And, you know, it's not just like as a manager, of course, I'm trying to limit and be like very realistic about what my team can do and help them to navigate. But also it's on every 
person responsibility to understand what are they doing and why they are doing this. And OKR helps to ask this question, like, why do you think it should be your goal for a quarter? Do you think that it's what will help to move the needle? Do you think it would, which should help to achieve our business goals? And there are many situations that actually the answer is no. It's probably we will spend 80% time on this task, but it's, it's nice to have. It's good. It's important, but it will not something that will change picture completely. And in a fast growing, like fast changing environment, we need to make hard choices and say no to things, even though they may be exciting or interesting and say yes to things that are the most impactful. What system have you found uh, working best for you? Do you kind of like does the leadership team set the objectives and then kind of announces them to the team or does the team propose them and then the team like the leadership team approves them like how, how does that work specifically yeah so we set business goals for the year like mostly it's like revenue retention and some communication goal like not just number but how we wanted to position ourselves what place we wanted to take and from this like high level picture every team builds their own OKRs so team leaders they suggest more high level for the department and other employees are suggestions their own how they will achieve so it's all cascaded from like top to bottom and you can see how you're doing is connected maybe through several steps but how is it connected to this high level business goals but i'm a big fan of people suggesting something and we just groom it and discuss uh, together with the team so everyone feels that they're owners. It's not something that they were told to do, but it's something that they suggest. So there is also higher chances to achieve it and also higher feeling of ownership and responsibility. I love this. I love this. So I think we can conclude at this point that it's not just product market fit that took Mira to the growth that it has, but also good leadership. If you look back years ago, before you moved to, to the US before all of this happened. You probably had some sort of aspiration that I'm going to do this and I want to achieve or experience X, Y, Z. Did you do that? Like, Did you do what you were hoping to do? Yeah, I hope still to accomplish it. I mean, as you're growing as a... You know, as an expert, as a professional, you also your priorities changing. I always was really passionate about growing people and just helping people to achieve uh, their personal goals and their career goals. I think it's what makes me happy. That's why I also doing, uh, as you also, <laughs> mentorship and some other like active volunteering activities besides uh, uh, day, daily work. But also I had this uh, dream of uh, I participated in a Cannes Lions uh, festival, which is like Oscar for advertising. In as a young, um, they have a, a competition that goes uh, young Cannes Lions, and uh, you basically work with the brief that they give you. And I participated in the PR category, but I always dreamed to participate in this more like adult competition with a real campaign, with a, uh, something that you know will be showing on a big screen and the best uh, advertising experts in the world from top agencies is like being a jury and pick my campaign and I receive this award. I think that looking about like what companies are getting award and what uh, you know what it takes to be there, I kind of become more flexible <laughs> that uh, you know you can make 
change for the business. You can make change for people uh, without getting all these awards because you see how things become more political and so on. Uh, but I still believe that uh, what we want to do with Mira kind of to be more, to destigmatize, uh, to be more brave, uh, to be more bold with our communication eventually uh, can be on the uh, lines as well. And uh, this year with our sex hormone tester campaign, we want to actually to apply uh, to some uh, online awards, uh, PR awards, and digital awards. So I think that this uh, passion <laughs> to get uh, acknowledgement from professional community and uh, to get more uh, brand awareness about uh, marketing, like creative marketing communication uh, can I be see. fulfilled I now. see. If we look a little bit outside of the um, work rubric, I assume because you've lived there for years that you've built some sort of routine, like some, maybe you found some hobbies. Like, what do you do outside of work basically to kind of recharge? and refresh yourself. Yeah, so living in San Francisco is still living in a big bubble of startups, <laughs> innovations, AI, especially now. So a lot of things that I do besides work is still connected to technology or I have a lot of friends who are founders or VCs or <laughs> I'm still staying in this area, but I think that for like uh, just feeling that you live life in its full, uh, for me it's also important and to be and yeah, California is, has amazing nature to be close to this nature. So like different activities uh, that I can do, like hiking or surfing and and explore and discover uh, nature spots. Also, there are a lot of creative activities that you can do in San Francisco. So I'm trying to go painting or uh, trying uh, something new just to you know, get out of the screen and activate part of brain <laughs> that we probably don't activate like on a regular uh, day. However, I think that marketing is one of the most creative jobs that you can have, even if you don't like do designs on a daily work. It's still a lot of creative thinking and thinking outside the box. And uh, yeah, I like to travel. I think as a big one of the biggest benefits of remote work is just to be able to work from where you from whatever place. Last year, I spent four months of traveling out of 12 months in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. Like two months in Bali, two months in Europe in different countries. Uh, and uh, it yeah, it, it just makes me feel that it's not like a life of work. It's actually a life of life. For me, what usually happens when I, because I also do travel, when I do travel, I travel because I want to change scenery. But when I change the scenery, eventually I want to go back because I miss what I was doing. <laughs> so that's what happens to me. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's the best to go home <laughs> and complain. Oh, we're so tired to travel, and in a month, like, oh, where are you going yeah, next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to ask you a question that I think uh, is going to be quite relevant because there's a lot of startups. You you yourself are connected to a lot of startups. If you could give some sort of advice or guidance or like any high level insight out of all that you've learned and experienced to some. Uh, leaders or startup founders in the femtech industry, like what would you suggest they do so that they can kind of benefit from your experience? It can't be about leadership, about marketing, about anything. Yeah, it's a good question. I would say that join uh, communities and take advantage of communities uh, because it's, uh, I learned a lot, uh, but just uh, 
communicating uh, with people on some accelerator or some Slack groups or e-commerce groups or founders groups, just to reaching out and asking questions that you have, like on your daily challenge, is much faster to learn and make right decision rather than learn from your own mistakes and, and lose momentum. And I would say that FinTech community, one of the most supportive that I've ever seen, like every founder, even if it's a product, I don't know, somehow like competitive, they're so supportive, they're so open and transparent and happy to help. And not just founders, everyone, advisors, doctors, People from business side are mentoring the FMTech Lab uh, Accelerator. It's a London-based accelerator. And uh, besides mentoring founders, I'm also as a mentee myself. Sometimes I'm reaching out to to other mentors or even other founders, and I ask uh, them my questions. And we sit up like sitting in a school and we exchange our feedback because this industry is quite new. So there is no playbook developed. It's not like SaaS that, you know, exists for a long time and kind of like more or less straightforward. It's also related to a lot of regulation and compliance. So just having this uh, feeling that you are not alone and you can ask questions and be active of giving, you know, giving, sharing and receiving, I think is very important and supportive um, to not to stay in silo with your own thoughts and develop faster. And I think that another side is that a lot of uh, fintech founders are women because they based these companies uh, on their own experience and some pains that they had in the past or their friends had. And women, I would say, is more gravitating towards perfectionism and like trying to do everything great or having some, I don't know, <laughs> imposter syndrome. So I would say that overcoming this perfectionism and just trying and uh, running different hypotheses and experiments, even though it doesn't look as an ideal company, it doesn't look like ideal design, is very important because it just would help to move faster and get conclusions faster rather than spend a lot of time on something and after that realize that it probably should be different. On imposter syndrome, I just want to share this because I also used to have very high levels of imposter syndrome. What helped me quite a lot, actually, and I think it's something that everybody can apply, is starting what I call a gratitude journal. Because if you think about it, what is an imposter syndrome? It's that you're basically not honoring or respecting or remembering your successes and your wins in life. So if you just take the time to write down the things that you're grateful for, the things that you accomplished, the things that actually go well in your life, and you do this maybe once a week systematically, and then time to time you just review all of the things that has happened to you, like it, it really helps make you feel that, okay, like it can't be all random, right? Like I, I didn't trick anybody probably there's a reason why things go well. So I found that uh, extremely helpful. Yeah, I think every employee should should have uh, this BRAC, BRAC journal <laughs> because it will help you to communicate with the manager and also just feel more <laughs> accomplished. And uh, sorry, one more thought about founders. I think that uh, we're, we're working with mostly direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand. And uh, if it, it was like a very popular business model a couple of years ago. And now uh, I know investors and overall environment is like start to be more critical about it. Like, oh, don't go direct to consumer. And a lot of founders, like I will go B2B or another suggestion is don't be afraid of direct to consumer because it's maybe not a like high growth strategy forever, but it really helps to get product 
out of the market and get the first traction and just get it better while you are selling it to consumer if it's possible because uh, there are a lot of ways how to do it through TikTok, uh, through website, through other like Amazon uh, because uh, the B2B market is even more complicated but uh, with Mira was able actually to get traction and get recognition by reaching out to consumer and uh, helping consumer directly. And I think a good thing about the disease also is that the consumers can almost talk back to you so that you can see like what actually performs, what doesn't. They will comment on your Facebook groups, on your advertising posts. You get a short feedback loop, basically, which I think has a lot of value exactly. ultimately when you're launching something new that you don't necessarily know whether it's going to work or not. Catherine, I know you mentioned that you are mentoring people in an accelerator for people that are outside of this accelerator? Is there like a way uh, for them to contact you? I know, I, I believe you're also mentoring uh, outside the accelerator. Is there a way for people to reach to you basically so that they can kind of be mentored by you? Yeah, um, feel free to reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, I also have profile on uh, Growth Mentor platform, uh, but I'm always open uh, for requests and trying to find the uh, time uh, to, to have a quick call or maybe recommend someone who can be helpful to resolve challenge that people have. Amazing, amazing. And I'm going to ask you a tricky, tricky question now. What is the, the message that you want to send out to the world? Like, let's close the podcast with you sending a message that's going to be your message to the world. <laughs> it can be to founders. It can be to like uh, people that work in femtech. It can be anything that you'd like to kind of be your final uh, phrase in the podcast. Uh, okay, so I thought about um, what is the uh, main uh, conclusion of the last year, like something that I uh, decided for myself and that I wanted to take from the last year and be guided this year. And I would say that for me, it's a realization of uh, radical, I would call it radical responsibility, or we can call it agency, like something that you feel that you have this ownership uh, to change things as you want or pick things or change if you are not satisfied with it and uh, take ownership of something that, you know, is not satisfied, you're not happy at work, you're not happy with, uh, I don't know, something uh, in another side of life uh, and you're thinking how I can uh, change the situation rather than, like getting to the feelings of uh, victim or blaming someone else. Uh, so I think it's also helpful, very helpful in Korea because uh, a lot of people, they actually don't realize how possible and how open is to change things. Like, oh, I don't, I feel so stressed. I don't like this task. Uh, and actually it's a, it's a good point to go to a manager and talk about it and give feedback and don't be scared about it so you can change. Maybe this task actually is not so important. Maybe someone else, there is another person who wants to do this task and they can't wait to do it. So you just like wanted to send a message to speak up and uh, don't think that there are unresolved things. Of course, there are things that we can't impact, but uh, maybe we can impact our relationship to it. Thank you. Thank you for uh, joining me today, Catherine. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation and a fun conversation. If you're a business leader with an interesting story to tell, reach out to me directly through LinkedIn and let's explore whether we could be a good fit for the show. 
My name is George Capernaros. That's George, K-A-P-E-R-N-A-R-O-S. And if you'd like to have your email and SMS program audited by a world-class agency for free, head over to yocto.agency, click through to book a call, and add the note that you are a listener or viewer of the CEO After Dark show. See you on the next episode.